Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Oh my God. I think I just smudged my lip liner or lipstick combo that I never wear. But welcome to another wonderful week. Um, as you know, I'm excited, <laughs> but I'm really pumped about today because we are kicking off brain camp. And whew, this has been a long time coming for sure. Those of you who have had sessions with me, you know that mindset, how our brains work, ADHD, OCD, the tendencies and habit, habits of both, even if you don't have necessarily aren't diagnosed with them as disorders, it all kind of plays into everything we do. So <clears throat> we're, as you guys have read so far, we're going to kick it off with this month featuring everything about how the brain also screws us out of getting results and getting better and all of that. So I'm gonna, we're going to go over the four most common things, right? Now, that doesn't mean this covers everything. Neurodivergence means that it is a whole spectrum of stuff. So if there's anything from, to, from these lessons that speaks to you either differently than the way we're talking about it, or you want to elaborate more on that, you know, as always, me, the coaches, we encourage that one-on-one <clears throat> -on -one kind of approach. And if you're following this along as a drinking game and you have your water bottle handy, mine's about three quarters full. So let's say every time I drink water, you guys drink water. We're going to try it out. Okay. So <clears throat> my voice is cracking a lot from allergies. So just as a warning, today's topic, the all or nothing brain. So as usual, this is going to require a lot of just feedback from the chat as well. So while you're watching this, anything you're thinking, anything, you know, standing out to you, uh, you agree, you disagree, this is a safe place. I want you to tell me in the chat or tell us in the chat, I should say. All right. So before we jump in, I want to know what you guys think when I say the all or nothing brain, how do you interpret the all or nothing mindset? What does that mean to you? And how and you, know, you can use specifics of how you've approached health in an all or nothing manner, how you do anything in an all or nothing manner. But what does it mean to you? Black and white thinking, if it's not perfect, F it. Yep, for sure. Perfect or go home. Dieting is a good example in the past. I either have to do it perfect and consistently or not at all. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> absolutely. The biggest thing about all or nothing is that it's a fake sense of control. Now, tell me <clears throat> if you guys have ever been down this path. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to really put my all into it. Every, any, you know, a few months, I'll dedicate a few months to it. Who doesn't have a few months? I can be strict for a few months. I can really make sure that I stick to this and I am, you know, I do it. I dot my I's, I cross my T's and I'm going to do it. And it's like, you could be a representative of that company, right? Like whatever diet, whatever, whatever you're doing, you could be their freaking spokesperson for a certain period of time. And then for some reason, it never sticks. And you miss that that newness. You miss that period where you were like, I know what I'm doing. I know exactly what I'm focusing on. I'm going to stick to this. I'm going to do this. It's the false sense of comfort in strictness because it's harder for you to mess up if you know exactly what you have to do. It's a false sense of 
um, effort equals outcome. So if we're putting a lot of effort into it, we're gonna have the outcome we want, but it's not what we think is motivation is really just the excitement of newness and obsession. It feels like we're doing well, right? When we're really strict with something and like Mo said, black and white, if we're doing it this way, we're doing good. If we're doing it this way, we're doing it bad. So it feels like we have more of a, of a confirmation that we're doing it right, the stricter it is to follow. And the more we can say at the end of the day, we checked all those boxes and we followed the plan. Does this sound about relatable so far? Does this sound spot on? Because it doesn't even have to be about diet. It could be with work. It could be with school. It could be with a dream you're working towards. It could be towards saving up for something. It's anything that we feel we don't have total control over. We get, you know, the, the all or nothing feeling feels like we're removing the idea of fail of failure. Then the emotion set in and you're like, oh shit, I can still mess up. <laughs> right. Or, oh my God, I didn't even think of that today because I don't know, my whole world is falling apart at home and I didn't think about what kind of protein I'm eating. You know, so it's all normal. That's life, right? But this all or nothing mindset is what's making us have such a high margin of error, even though we think it's the opposite, that we fall off and feel terrible about it. But it is cyclical. The idea that I might be getting it right by being perfect, therefore I'm a good person, I have worth. Exactly. If I, if I have a really strict regimen, but I make sure at the end of the day, no matter how badly the day is going, I can still stick to doing just this. Who's the committee though? Who, you know, like who's judging this? Who, who's, who is telling us we're good or who we're bad? Who are we being good or bad for? It's like this silent, this silent panel of judges that we're going to be up against. So the stricter something is, the easier the guidelines to be successful are. A lot of us, you know, not, not to diminish this at all, we all have extremely different paths, but I say this all the time. There is a reason that anecdotal, of course, I don't know this number to be completely true, it feels this way. Like nine out of 10 clients that we work with have some kind of trauma in the past. Now that doesn't mean necessarily abuse. It doesn't mean anything. It could be moving around a lot. It could be um, a shift. You know, if you move to a school in the middle of, <laughs> hey, middle of middle school, you know, or, and you had a hard time acclimating. Um, it could be a natural disaster that hits your home. It could be uh, the loss of a family member due to health issues. It, it could be so many different things that equal trauma, you know, that have such a high effect on, on us specifically. So that is, you know, not, again, not to make you feel invalidated whatsoever, but like, this is good. You're, you're in good company because to some degree, there's been a lot of studies done about inflammatory illnesses, autoimmune illnesses, hormonal illnesses and the stress connection of trauma. So why I wanted to do brain camp. All right. So it sounds like this is hitting home. Okay. Now <clears throat> here's the thing about obsessions. And even if you have OCD and you've had intrusive thoughts, tell me if you know this, something can feel so powerful. It can feel so certain. And so like, absolutely this is going to happen. It's the, for, the thing in my brain. It's, oh my God. And then one day it's like, you never even had that, that obsession. It passes. The intrusive thought, no matter how dreadful it is, 
passes. The time in which it takes to pass is a whole different story. But if your obsession, if that intrusive, which we'll get to it in its own Zoom, but if your obsessive thought about it, if the intrusive nature of having to stick to it, I have to be good, have to be good, right? Like, if that's an obsession, that will pass. And yet we don't understand why we fall off. We always feel like, oh, here goes another, and you might've even thought this about this program, it's okay. But like, here it goes, another program. I was all gung-ho, ready to jump in, you know, go full force. And here I am just letting it fall to the wayside again, just like everything else. No, <laughs> no, it's just that like with everything, there is only a certain period of time in which we're really enthralled with something, the newness. We're always attached to newness. I had to turn this light down because I'm gonna be blind at the end of this. Holy shit. This is like a Kris Jenner ass light that I got on in my face. You know, apparently she has eye problems now from the, from the amount of lights that she has on her face at all times during filming. That's why she looks like she doesn't have no wrinkles. Just saying, we all have them. So, okay, now here's my thought though. In reality, we are only supposed to, we, have, we don't have too many tasks that are necessary, right? Like we got, uh, we're supposed to eat, sleep, shit, hydrate, have sex, keep ourselves safe and alive. That's literally it. So why is it healthy to be obsessed with an eating plan? And why is it healthy to obsess about that plan so much that it takes precedence over those absolute necessities, food, sleep, sex, you know, uh, hydration. I mean, also I think it's imperative to have joy, right? But how many times does a solid regimen come before joy? It's never healthy for that obsession. Even if it's obsession with health, that's a disorder too right? It's not healthy to be obsessed with a method, a, a, pro, a protocol, because that will pass. And then what? Another new one? When does consistency enter the picture? If we're only looking at rigidity and duplication day after day after day, if that's the only way we view consistency, then that is destined to be temporary. Just the way our brains work. Doesn't matter if you have an intrusive thought stuck in your head for years, you could not have that and you can have it be for a month. But either way, if that's what's dictating what's going on, that's going to dictate consistency. So none of this, the thing about it is none of this is motivation. We think it's motivation, right? But 80 to 95% of all people who lose weight gain their weight back. And now if anybody just felt like a balloon that deflated hearing that, Ask yourself why, because not all 80 to 95% of those people have hormonal disorders or metabolic disorders or chronic illnesses that affect their weight in any which way, take medications that affect their weight. That's just in general, 80 to 95% of people. So that's every single one of those people, you, well, 80 to 95% of the people you see on Instagram, like, woo, I just ate bacon for a year. Look at me. You know, the, the statistics show that everybody who does these things in this all or nothing mentality will fall off. Before I continue, 
of want to know what you guys think about that. What does that mean for you as you hear that 85 to an uh, 80 to 95 percent of all people who lose their weight will gain it back? What does it tell me in the chat? What does that mean for you watching? You don't got to be fake positive. You can say if that pisses you off. Diets don't work. They really don't. Shit, I've been, I gained my weight. Well, not, not all back, but before I lost the 80 pounds, anything I ever lost, I gained back. And then after I lost the 80 pounds, the pandemic hit. And you guys know my story with that. Took me a long time to get back because I still have a hormonal body. Easy to disrupt, hard to maintain. That's why the difference has to be not given so much of a shit <laughs> about the time because it's like, what are we going to do? What's the alternative? Be the size we are and be miserable. It's a lot easier in theory. You know, that's why I had said I gained, I, I thought that before I gained the weight back, right? I really put it into practice the second time around because it's like, oh shit. Yep. What can I do? This is going to take a while. Doesn't matter. So let's see. Uh, like the girls that sell the ketones that have now gained it back and are using it, using it for their business, re-lose the weight and show people it can be done. Yikes on bikes. That sounds like a sustainable business plan and health plan. Um, I lost weight to spite everyone because I hated everyone. I would go and work out when I was mad. It was crazy. Yeah. Well, one, that's because you were working out your, adre your adrenaline at that time. But also, yeah, I cringe when I hear compliments about weight loss. I really do. I absolutely cringe. I have made it a point now that if anybody mentions my body now, I will look at them and be like, oh, you're looking at, okay, thanks. Anyway, and I'll keep it. I want it to be awkward. They don't know if I'm if I'm shitting my brains out 24 hours a day. If that's why I have oh your your neck area is so much leaner. Like why are you paying attention to my neck? What that does is it gave me reasons to hunt compliments down as a kid. My eating disorders were fueled by the attention of you're working so hard. I was starving myself. I was fighting the the desire to just fall asleep at any given time you know, because I was either at the gym or I was, you know, I worked at a gym. So it was real easy. You know, like I would get off work, I would go work out. And it was like, every time I hated it, I would be like, oh, but people are going to notice. It's so unhealthy. No one should compliment weight loss. It's not a compliment. It's a body. So, but I get it. I was there, man. I was there. And I was like, I don't want anyone to say, you know, when I'm my 10 year reunion one year, when I go one day, I'm going to show up and they're going to, you know, I was going to be the fat, angry girl throughout high school and blah, blah, blah. Just terrible. It means that I'm grateful to have found a program that realizes that most diets fail and that it's not the person slash moral failing. Yeah, it's reality. And to, ha to hack slash find ways to work with this fact. Absolutely. You know, um, I have a good point that I wrote out about that, but it's, it's so important to work around that. Like, it doesn't mean that that's the end all be all by, by any means. And if we think it is, then that is what we work on to stop this never ending temporary cycle that happens. You know, it doesn't mean there's no work to be done and screw it. It's the opposite. It's just the work can't be done in restriction in all or nothing intensity. 
So I lost all the weight because I was always mad. So I was always working out. I feel you. <laughs> the biggest blow that hit me was if the diet worked, why did I have to do it again? Go on whatever program again. Absolutely. Yep. When all those compliments I got when I lost weight truly felt like an insult gaining it back. Yep. And then I'd be like, well, why didn't anybody say anything about my weight? That must mean I need to lose more. And it doesn't, if you think about that, like what, like, girl, you're going to disappear. You can't keep losing weight, you know, but like, that's, that's a disorder and it's fueled constantly by people thinking they have any room for input on our, on any bodies, but let alone bodies that are as complicated metabolically as ours. Check out my Instagram post from this week. I have so many idiots in my comments that I'm just like, piss off, you know, um, people think they know they have no idea causes shame. Yeah. We, but always remember we have to consent to shame, you know, and that's why we try to make it so that we don't give a shit what people are, are, or we try to learn to not give a shit what people think, go out, be gross. It's the most liberating thing. Go out, legs unshaved, gut hanging out the bottom of your tank top. Shit. Don't even wear a bra. Let it be cold that day. Let people stare at you purposely. Let people stare at you and then go home and see how nothing is different. And then ask yourself, let me call those people up and see what they thought about how gross I look today. Oh, wait, I don't even know who they are. I couldn't pick them out of a lineup. So Nick just slid me a note. Hold on. You're cute. Because running to Walgreens real quick. Be back in 10. Love you. Yes, I will drive safe. I right, love you, drive safe. I still have to say it. So anyway, um, it, it was, it's eye-opening. It's eye-opening. You could look like an absolute jackass out there, right? Who gives a shit? But it's not easy. I didn't just arrive there one day to that point. It took a lot to get there. That's the truth. Makes me fear seeing those people again out of judgment because I saw what they valued. Yeah, and like, of course we know, like, I'm not, I'm not saying any secret here that if someone saw that you had lost a lot of weight and then they see you again and you had gained weight, they're going to think about it. They're going to be like, oh, she gained weight. That's why, it, you know, if we, we take away the, the care of who gives a shit if they said that I gained weight. Okay. Like, is that a scandal? Are they going to pay their bills on that? Like nothing happens. It's words, it's thoughts, it's mouth sounds. If they don't want to hang out with you again, they're probably suck as company. But chances are they probably see you again and not say anything to your face. It's just human beings, right? Not a fan of the before and afters on Facebook and Insta because I feel like eat that person is feeding off the praise and I feel for their mental health when their diet no longer works anymore. You know, that's the thing because with like, I don't like putting up side-by-side -side photos. I really don't. Um, I don't, you see, I rarely actually post them. It's usually in my stories. And a lot of it, I try to go for the ones that show like there's, there could be, you know, a difference in the elasticity of the skin, in the smoothness of the face and the tautness of the jaw. And it's not all, that's not just because, oh, someone was eating a lot of chocolate and then they stopped, you know, like, like everyone thinks, but these pictures you see, they never have a disclaimer. They never say, this is how long they took. This is what health issues they have or don't have. This is what diet exactly they're on. These are the struggles that they had. These, you know, like none of that comes with it. It's just the praise of smaller body. And I hate that. 
I get a lot of people who will take a, a, a micro a magnifying glass to my before and after picture. I hate that term, like the, the progress photos. And they'll be like, well, this angle is different or this looks and I'm like, dude, look, take it for what it is. Obviously, there's not a, a you know, they're not a whole different person. Right. Because that doesn't happen for us all the freaking time or let alone <laughs> I don't get pictures from the people it usually does. But I understand, you know, it's just it's such it, there's just so much assumption that all or nothing makes those assumptions feel less like assumptions and feels like we're doing everything we can to prove all the people wrong, to not be lazy, to not be not caring and letting ourselves go, to be really concerned with our health, you know, but what does that do? Even if you are all those things, when you're out in public, you think people take a second and wonder, or you think they prejudge what the hell's worth all the energy then if they're going to think what they think. And this journey is going to take us a while anyway. <clears throat> Let's see, I want to scroll through this. Um, yeah, Nick is ridiculous. He's so sweet. Um, yes, 30 year eating disorder, body dysmorphia, over exercising, diet pill abuse, laxative abuse, all to be smaller, afraid to be seen. No more. Absolutely. No one deserves it to live like that. That's just a sad, like, I mean, no one deserves to feel they have to because of sh strangers and people who don't spend a, a second in our lives, you know? Um, I'm so proud of you, Addie, but okay. Now, here's the thing. Everyone wants the lifestyle. I hear it all the time. I just wanna not think about food. I just don't wanna have to think about maintaining my illnesses. I just wanna have an easygoing lifestyle. I don't wanna diet, I want a lifestyle. And yet, Becoming a lifestyle is what makes people feel disconnected. Why? Well, let me ask first, have anybody watching the Zoom, give me a, a yes or no, have you ever felt like you're disconnected from something because you're thinking about it less? Have you ever felt disconnected from something because you're thinking about it less? I know me for sure. OCD, are you kidding me? Something could entirely disappear from my consciousness if it's not at the front of my head, or at least that's the fear. The ADD is what makes it disappear. <laughs> the, the, the OCD provides the fear of that happening. So here's the thing, though. It's not disconnected if the goal is to not think about it. We never anticipate how terrifying that is if we're used to the all or nothing approach that is like a silent confirmation that we're doing the best we can and that we're doing well. They're a direct confliction of each other, wanting the lifestyle where you don't have to think about it and wanting the motivation of something that consumes your thoughts and has newness to it and is exciting and enthralling. And we don't ever really think about this. We just wanna not feel obsessed and have the results. We should be able to, but the hardest part of that, the, the part of this process that takes the most time is learning that and truly becoming comfortable with a lifestyle while also progressing forward in that lifestyle. I know at least one time you guys have gotten annoyed with the slow pace of this <laughs> and that's okay. I've gotten annoyed with the slow pace of this, but the fast pace of this doesn't do a damn thing. If the obstacles are remaining there, 
like I'm saying, if someone's done their baby steps, they're all good. They're good to go, whatever. Like, yeah, you might need the next step. Everything's consistent and you don't have to think about it. No stress. Great. But it's rarely that. It's usually that there is lack of consistency because we feel we've fallen off and we're not as diligent as we used to be. It is literally, pardon my language, one big mind fuck. Thoughts on that? Any, any personal adages? I'm going to keep going with this, but I want to go back and read the comments. So tell me your thoughts on hearing that little cluster. We want the lifestyle. We want the carefree. We want it, but we want to keep moving forward. And the all or nothing is the thing that makes us feel that that's happening, even if it's temporary. So what do we really want then? swear to God, comfiest couch ever when you're not sitting on it like this and you know, my spine. Tell me your thoughts in the chat. So a few points I had added here on my notes, extreme things hurt us. Anything extreme, temperature, lack of sleep, food, drink, humidity, stress, diets, all of this stuff affects us. When we suggest something to change that people are attached to, and it's, pro it's usually coming from a place of, in the past, that was another form of self-punishment or another form of fake motivation because it's an all or nothing approach. It's something extreme. It's something, if we see something like that, we will never suggest something because we love seeing you drag on and struggle. We will always suggest something if we see you doing something that's screwing yourself, screwing you over. So it's not that, we, that you're doing anything bad. And it's not that we want to rip it away from you just to make your life harder and like laugh at your misfortune ever. Anything that we suggest, changing, replacing, learning, whatever is to benefit you. And I know in theory, logically now, even though you guys are, if you're not being faced with something that you're afraid to change or lose, right? You might be like, well, yeah, Michelle, that makes logical sense. Of course, you're going to help us out. You're going to point it out. But how many times in the moment have we found justifications for shit we know logically at other times doesn't help? Emotions are a crazy thing. Emotions will change our whole damn mind. So, <clears throat> excuse me, freaking allergies. Um, if we never talk about shit that's hurting us, we never fix that shit. Now, we'll never push you to talk about something you don't want to talk about yet. But if we see something like extreme working out, extreme sleep schedules, the best is when I tell someone their job is killing them. They're like, I have bills to pay. I'm like, I know, but you're not going to be paying them long if you keep at this, right? Like you got just to be bleak, like it and blunt, you know, it's that something's got to give. And a lot of times this all or nothing of, well, no, I should just be able to go, 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 go all day long, then go work out, then barely eat, then just feel I should be healthy. You know, and I should have been I should have been born with a trust fund, but some shit doesn't happen. You know, it sucks. But 
when these extreme things hurt us and you're putting in all this effort to change something when something you're already doing may be hurting you. If it's hard to change it, that's normal. It's not about being like, you got to change this and someone going, oh, yep, roger that. Got it. No problem. Going to change it. That doesn't happen. That's why you're here. That's why you got guidance, right? But if let's say, let's use a job for an example. If you have an extreme job, you are working 16 hours a day, you barely get a day off a week. Like nobody can last like that forever, let alone somebody with a sensitive body. Is that me being annoying or is that the reality? So we can either try to avoid that reality and push it to the back burner and say, well, too many people depend on me. Or we can find something that isn't going to stress us and kill us young. And I'm not saying that it's going to be overnight, but it, is it not going to be ever? Like, what if this place burned down where you were working? What would you do? Would you just be like, I got to wait for it to be rebuilt? Or would like, you know, or maybe burnt down is a bad example. I don't know. What the hell do corporations, what would they do? Like, shit has to continue. Anyway, but you get my point behind the analogy. The logistics are fuzzy. But like, if this place ceased to exist that you work at, would you just be like, oh, damn, I guess it's nothing now because it's all or nothing, even with jobs, right? No, you'd find a job. You would do what you got to do. So why is it we got to wait until either we're burnt out, crashed and burned and then look for something in that mindset? Or if we see it coming, why can't we make the changes little baby steps like we're doing? Why can't you do that for a job? Why can't you do that for a shitty client for um, anything, anything at all? So I want to, some of you guys have heard this example so many times, but it's my favorite one. I'm going to bring it up again. And that is the Dyson example. Dyson Y'all know Dyson, right? It's that overpriced vacuum that's got a ball in it and it's really bougie. I really like mine, but once we got one that's battery stayed working longer than 20 minutes. My point, my point is that when they started, they had prototypes that they were going through. And you may have heard me tell you this where I say, okay, this is our first prototype. This might not work out. This might need tweaking. We're going to see what doesn't work from this, right? So I always think of Dyson when I get, when I tell you guys this and Dyson had, I want, it's going to take up too much time to guess because no one will guess this. 5,124 failed prototypes before the first working prototype. 5,124 times they tried their best and said, okay, this is it. The best of my knowledge, this is going to work. And it didn't. And they had to go back to the drawing board. And they had to look at what didn't work and they had to troubleshoot it and try again and try again and try again and change this and change that. You know, I mean, after attempt like 15, you'd think they would pack it up and be like, it's just not in the cards. But they kept going because they knew that the end result they wanted, they weren't going to stop until they figured it out, figured it out. Not if they figured it out. So we create with this all or nothing approach we create a either it works or it doesn't, but that's never the case. Every day you get to wake up is another day you get to, to problem solve, to figure it out, to, to look at what's not working, try your best to find something better. Are you always going to know what that is? No, but you're in a position here with your coaches, with me, with the community to be able to collectively try to find 
that next prototype to test out if one isn't working for you. When you have an all or nothing mindset, it prevents any of this. So it is imperative to get shit wrong and then evaluate it and try to find a way to make it realistically easier and realistically better. That's not an excuse. You're not taking the easy way out. You know, like you are taking the easy way, but you're not taking the cheap way out. You know, you're not, you're not cheating that way by making something easier on yourself. I don't know where that was created, but it's this internal sense of like moral pride and how hard something is, but it serves no one, especially not us. So when you think of that, you know, when, when people text me, we troubleshoot, we troubleshoot the schedule, we troubleshoot the food likes, the dislikes, the foods you have at home, the energy level around cooking, whatever it is that is stopping you from being consistent. You guys, those of you who've been with me for a while, you know, we want to know what's not working because what's not working gives us insight into how to stop this cycle from going on for fucking ever. (laughs) If we can work with what makes things difficult, there will be no fall off. And if there's no fall off, this can become a lifestyle that you don't have to think about, but it all starts with wanting to ditch the all or nothing. see what did I write here at the end we look for a solution based on getting it wrong and we've been told that that's not correct that that's bad that's a waste of time no waste of time is going from one thing to another completely different thing with a period of depression and self-sabotage in between and a, a farther place to start from the next go that's what's getting it wrong so Excuse me. The last point I'll leave here, and then I want to go back and read these comments. There's zero room for improvement when it's all good or all bad. When it is all or nothing, there is zero room for improvement. You get one shot, you get one trial run, one thing, you know, you don't even get a freaking rehearsal. You're just like shoved out onto the stage, do well or don't. And we don't have to have that. So why do we? Why do we impose that on ourselves? There are more than one way, there is more than one way to do something right consistently. There's more than one way to do something right consistently. Some of my clients this week got this lesson a lot where it was, well, I don't know, I'm just falling off. I'm just not as, you know, involved. And I just, I thought I would be farther along than this and blah, blah, blah. And I just, I didn't think of my baby steps at all. Not, not once. Oh. Or I did, I thought of my baby steps and I still failed. And and I'll say, okay, what's different? And then they'll be like, I don't know. What do you mean? I'm like, how's work? Oh, well, last week, five people called out. So I had to work double shifts and nobody was available to help and blah, blah, blah. Is the way that you do something that week. Does it seem like it would work if it was the same way you do things on the weeks where you have time or your mental energy? No, different thresholds call for different approaches. So what works perfectly, perfectly, oh my God, I can't talk. What works perfect, perfectly for you one week might be absolutely impossible and overwhelming to maintain the next week. 
And then the week after that, it might go back. We attach to the all or nothing concept of how we should do things, but become more interested in how to do things during certain times, how to do things during certain obstacles. If you have a wide array of knowledge of how to handle one situation in many ways, you'll be prepared for all the ways that can happen. If you think of it as sink or swim, you have two options, no matter what the hell is going on in your life. And that is not a human pressure to put on ourselves. Not these days. That's for damn sure. All right. So that's got that's all my spiel that I have written here. Let's see. Okay. I've seen a lot of the videos. I see transformations are from people who lost weight in a few months or a year or two. And then they talk about how they were so unhealthy and eating so much fast food and not moving, moving any. And they just simply started working out and ate less fast food. And I get that it's good to be healthier and feel better. Congrats to them. But a lot of people see that and think that every fat person should have it easy when losing weight. Oh, it drives me nuts. And that every person, every fat person is fat because they are eating a bunch of junk food and not exercising. When in reality, there's a lot more complex things happening for many of us. It's weird that I don't see a lot of weight loss journey videos when the person has any hormonal issues going on or autoimmune diseases or anything like that. I think your account was the first one I saw. Nothing, nothing like a bunch of people getting butt hurt that I'm talking about calorie deficits on my Instagram and how they're crap. And I don't, there's nothing any of them that can say that will de delegitimize me in my head. I don't care, it might sway other people, but I figure I went to enough people who thought like them and was the sickest I've ever been in my life, barely eating and like thoroughly deteriorating, worried that I wasn't going to be able to support my own breathing, like my own diaphragm, my own spine for many more years. Like that's how I was when I was listening to the people with that mindset. So I, at this point, I wouldn't trust someone who's never driven a car to teach me how to parallel park, right? I'm not going to listen to these assholes who never helped me on how I should be doing things better, you know, but that on accepting that, yeah, majority of people feel like that doesn't mean anything though. It's not the truth. And those people don't have any bearing on your life. It sucks. But if you think about it, why is it worse for someone to think you like fast food and you're fat? Then if you're like, you go out and just like have rage fits and beat people up, like, doesn't it feel like you could be a freaking like awful human. And for some reason that's still not as bad as, oh my God, you're fat and you like fast food, like go away, <laughs> you know, but there will be people who assume that you could live on kale and, and people will assume that if you're a certain size, you're not healthy. You're eating too many calories. Here's the thing. How stupid is that though? Like there's so much evidence against that, that they have no empathy. If they had a metabolic issue and woke up with it tomorrow, they'd be so screwed. They're just not even open to listening to it. They got personal pride attached to how, why they think we're fat. It's weird. It's weird and obsessive. And I feel bad for people like that because I used to be me. And I'm like, Ooh. extreme things hurt us. Yeah, they sure freaking do. Like I wish that were my problem. Like, yeah, right. I've said this. I used to say this a lot growing up, honestly. I would be like, everyone I meet thinks that I just have no control. Like I just eat and eat or I eat like, you know, chocolate and ice cream and all this shit, especially growing up having diabetes. Oh my God, being young and, and overweight 
<laughs> you know, like clinically obese, according to my BMI and being a diabetic. I, that was just like, you know, please judge me, please judge me. Will you judge me? I need it. You know, everywhere I went all the time. And it's dumb. It's literally, I got it when I was seven, you know, it's just my pancreas died. I don't know. It's an autoimmune, but people, idiots who don't know anything have the strongest opinions typically. Um, also with jobs, I used to majorly attach myself to jobs and organizations and realize that they don't really care about you. No, if you keeled over tomorrow, they'd find someone else to work in your spot. They'd feel bad. You keeled over. They, they'd probably have some issues with insurance and then they would move on and find someone new. Nothing, you know, it's not to say that they're awful, but life goes on. That's a lot with the people pleasing chip too is we, we try to people please with our bodies too. Even if we're not serving other people or going back on our boundaries with other people, we still want to be in an acceptable form to not be judged by people. People who have no struggles, by the like in this area, by the way. Really, really nice burn in the ass. But, you know, um, they'll replace you in two weeks and move on. So why sacrifice our own happiness and health for a job? And thinking that there's no other better opportunity out there is what keeps us in shit opportunities. There is always a better opportunity. Prototype, baby. You know what doesn't work from one prototype? You take it into the next one. You go, the next time you look for a job, you know what to not look for. Or you know what to look for, but also like what you don't want. Same with anything else. Um, I sacrificed so much for sad yearly raises and a pat on the back for years and years. I hear you working from hospitals and work. I had a, I had an ovary that, uh, I don't know if anyone in here has ever had an ovarian torsion where the, your ovary actually twists around itself and cuts off blood flow to the ovary itself. It is even more painful than it sounds. It was excruciating. And my ovary was so enlarged. It was so full of cysts. Um, funny enough, I actually, when I quit smoking cigarettes, a funny side effect of that is that you can get extreme constipation. And I have colitis as it, as it stands, you know? So my, my stomach was fucked up when I did this. So I got constipated so badly that I guess that with the combo of my ovary growing to the size that it was full of cysts, it caused it to turn around on itself. And I had no blood flow to the ovary. Um, we did, they did multiple CAT scans, you know, to see, did uh, ultrasounds to see. They were like, it's, it's gonna turn necrotic. We gotta remove your ovary, right? This was after I worked on my feet teaching through one weekend, it was 120 people how to make a cake. I was working with a twisted ovary like that, hunched over at the table, just trying to put, the fondant on the freaking cake and show these people how to make a cake. I'm, I got a dying organ and these people making a cake was more important. Why? Because I asked my boss if I could go home because I thought I had to go to the hospital. And their response is we have so many people coming and there's no replacement available. So I worked, I worked the whole weekend. And then I got to the point where I was like, I feel like I'm going to black out from pain. So I don't care if you fire me, I got to go. Like I, you want to call an ambulance? Like I got to go. And I got to the hospital. I told them what was up. I'm like, I'm currently waiting to hear if they're going to remove my ovary or not. 
And like I was in my twenties, you know, and I was upset about it. I was in so much pain and they were like, um, they were like, well, can you work from the hospital? Do they have Wi-Fi? Because I had to create some kind of like program for the cakes for the next week. I'm like, I don't know, bro. Can't somebody else do it? Like what? I didn't, I didn't work there for very much longer after that, but I, that, that experience, I always think of it where I'm like, never again, never again. Other people can deal with it that you don't get, I, if you've been my client with a demanding job or whatever, I say, you don't get profit sharing business owners, Ash for us, it's a little different, but you know, for other people, just, just say that to yourself. Like, do I get profit sharing? No, it is not my job to have a dying organ caring about their revenue. Shit happens, roll up your sleeves, you know? But it's not easy. Why I'm unemployed now. Well, you go, Glenn Coco, you'll find something better. I know you guys are gonna kill me, but law of attraction, huge. And not for nothing, if you don't believe in the mysticism of it, that's fine, I didn't either. I believed that focusing on law of attraction made me ballsier than I was. That's how I started getting into it. I said, if I can put in my brain that I'm blaming it on law of attraction, I'm just going to go for it and shit works out. So put it out, put it in your brain that like, I'm going to find a better job now. Like now, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, Gabby, what are you doing right now? Well, I'm looking for a much better job, you know, done. We don't got time for this shit. Um, Oh no, my sister had an ovarian torsion and she said no amount of strong pain relief in emergency cut the horrific pain. Fun thing about OCD is I am terrified of painkillers. I don't take them. I won't. I, I get so anxiety ridden with them that I throw up. Like I, I'm a mess. I cannot do pain meds. There's one that I can take that. I don't know why that I can take it. And it's because you don't feel it. Toradol. I think it was. Was it Toradol? Yeah, it was Toradol. It was the only one. It's the only one. Um, and Nick had to bribe them with cookies. He like drove to the local bakery location by the hospital um, and got like a big bag of cookies to bring to the nurses so that they could, cause I, they were, I refused. Oh, I don't know. OCD, I guess. Again, I refused to take any of the other painkillers that they were trying to give me. The Toradol was the only one that like, didn't just make me a mess. Um, and so we traded cookies for my preferred painkiller in the hospital. And it, it didn't really do much. It's probably why I liked it. Cause I didn't feel like I was, using anything um but it nothing touched that could touch that pain it was insane um all right so what i want you guys to take away from this is all or nothing if you're feeling disconnected from let's use this journey as an example your cc your time in cca or kgg if ever you're feeling disconnected Ask yourself, try to analyze and find one thing that you have not been as consistent about. It could be food. It could be contact with us. It can be booking your calls. It could be watching these Zooms. And if truly everything is 100% consistent, maybe you are feeling disconnected from it. Reach out to us and we can find a new way to kind of get keep going. But I would bet dollars to donuts that if everything was consistent and you're feeling good, you're probably not feeling disconnected. It's the control we want when things are not seeming like they're moving forward or like we're screwing up. That's usually when we feel disconnected. So if you feel that, try to look at all of the things and discuss it with us. If you need help doing that little checkup from the neck up, text us, text your coach, text me. We can walk through it together. 
but always look deeper than just giving up on yourself saying, I wish I was as into it as I was before there. That is a fake place and it will fade, but that doesn't mean that you are out of control. So small steps still win. All right. I'm going to go because I'm losing my voice. But I want you guys to text me. Let me know if you need help with anything at all and enjoy the rest of your night. Bye.